Welcome to RCCG, Jesus Worship Centre, Brisbane, Queensland. A place of God's word, power and praise. Where Christ's love reigns, champions are raised, dreams come true. Listen and God bless you. personal life, I see that one really, there are many things that I have achieved in my own life which wasn't through my own energy or my own strength. And that is very humbling because that thing that you, that leads you, that gives you the edge over the others is sometimes not properly understood. So when we look at that word advantage, for a lot of us, we look at it from the point of view of something to have. And a lot of us will concentrate on having the advantage and not understanding the process that produces the advantage. I feel that it is probably more important to understand and to align ourselves with the process that produces the advantage than just praying and desiring the advantage. I'll share a quick testimony with you recently. I just joined the, um, um, the Australian Defence Force. So I joined the Royal Australian Air Force as an officer. And um, I was inspired by my wife who was working as a civilian within the Air Force. And so I just rang them one day. I just felt strongly in my heart. So I rang them and I said, you know, are you looking for a neurologist? And then uh, they said, oh, well, they will get back to me. And then a few weeks later, they started chasing me, chasing me, chasing me. Apparently, the Air Force did not have a neurologist. And they wanted a military person. So I said, okay. I thought about it, prayed about it, and I thought I would go. So they invited me for this interview. Whole day interview, medical, psychological, one hour psychological evaluation. I've never done that before in my life. One hour with a psychologist. Every single detail of your life, family, everything, they tore me apart. And then I faced this naval officer. She's a commander in the, in the Navy, white, everything, you know, the regalia of the Navy. And she was grilling me about why I wanted to become you know, a military person. And then she started asking me about the values of the ADF and this about the ADF. I wasn't prepared for the interview. I just looked at her and I said, I don't know. <laughs> she asked me another question. I said, I don't know. When she asked me a question and I said, I don't know, she would say, she would tell me the answer. She said, don't worry, it doesn't matter. When she asked about four or five questions, I knew I had not passed the interview. <laughs> she shook my hand and said, you've done very well. Welcome to the Australian Defense Force. So, the advantage I had was that the Australian Defence Force did not have a neurologist and they wanted one badly. So, the process that would normally take eight months took me two months. And then when I faced the main interview, which was the final interview, we had all these group captains, all these old white men, bald head, you know, and all of them were doctors, senior professors, doctors, group captains, all of them, sir, 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 sir. And so they were interviewing me, and I had an interview, one and a half hours interview with three people. And they were talking about, we're talking about leading, it was actually an officer's interview for me to become an officer, a squadron leader by the grace of God. And so we had that conversation, and we were just discussing, and they told me that they were shocked that this is the fastest that somebody had started the process and got into this officer interview. It's rapid. And so I told them my story. 
I didn't just happen. You, I didn't just happen in February when I started the process. The advantage that manifested itself, that made them skip so many steps because they saw my profile, they saw what I had, and of course they also wanted racial diversity within the Air, within the Air Force. They wanted, they saw my background, they saw my drive, they saw my desire for leadership. So they felt that I was a prime, you, I could feel, I knew I had passed from the first statement the group captain mentioned. So we need you. So I wondered that, what did I have? I didn't just happen. It wasn't just a weekend's prayer meeting. Like some of us think that the advantage would just come on a weekend. Not, some of us don't know that even when you do not see the signs, God takes you through a journey that builds the advantage that you want. I, I'm not sure whether you're getting my point. There's, if you read a book by James Clare called Atomic Habits, you will understand what I'm talking about. It talks about the value of latent disappointment. That one year, two years, three years of labor that shows no results. And James, in that book, talked about going into the dressing room of the Philadelphia 76ers. Some of you are NBA fans will know what I'm talking about. The Ben Simpsons and the Joel Embiid's team. And he said, right there in the dressing room, there's actually a, a, a plaque on the wall of a man, a stonemason, who hits the stone, trying to break a stone. The first hit produces no result. The second hit produces no result until he hits it the 101st time. The stone cracks. But the one and first strike is no more important than the first strike. Some of you have been striking on the same stone over and over again and you're not seeing results. And you're like, where would this advantage come? And you hear the story of somebody who strikes. Listen to me. Every single strike is important. And even though you're not seeing the physical manifestation of what God is doing in you, he is certainly working. There are many times that it takes us through a journey that may not be apparent. The results may not be, will not be evident. And so I, so I faced these three men and I told them how I came to this country with $500 on a three-month storage visa. How I saw Australia on the BBC watching a documentary in Lagos. And I picked up my bag and I said I wanted to pursue my dreams here. How I started in a rural town of Morawa, 400 kilometers north of Perth with nothing. And I lived with a Pakistani who almost killed me with curry every day. Up till now, I've not recovered from curry. The smell of curry still kills me. But I didn't have a choice. I had to share the house with him. And how I started, you know, walking from place to place. I was training as, as a physician and I was moved from Armidale to Tamworth, different towns. Every time I had to move. And I remember how we had our first son. We later got married with a very small budget. We saved for six months to pay for our wedding in Newcastle. Our parents couldn't attend our wedding. And three months after my wife arrived, because we said we wanted a holy matrimony, we decided not to. She stayed with Pastor Latubosu for three months. And we stayed apart because we wanted to have a holy matrimony in the church. And when we had our first kid, she would be walking somewhere else and her childcare would be here. And I was walking like almost every day, three hours on the road. And they hustle. And when I was doing my PhD, dealing with patients, 6.30 a.m. I to be there, I live on 5 o'clock. Hard work and stress. And then when we started the church, and we only had like five or six people, and I still have to preach as if I'm preach, as if I'm T.D. Jakes. And there were no results. And when we started our practice, and we had no one, days where I would go with my suit, and not a single soul would show up, even those who have made appointments. 
and as they listened to me and I told them my story, I realized that the process is probably much more important than the outcome. And there are many times we are fixated on the outcome and we're not really paying attention to the process that produces the outcome. It's like the story that some of you might be familiar with of a man who was trying to push a mountain, push a mountain, push a mountain. And after a while, he almost gave up. And God came in and God pushed the mountain with a flick of his finger. And he said, God, where were you all this while? I've been crying and praying you take this mountain away. And God brought a big mirror to him. And God said, look at yourself. Look at your biceps, look at your pecs. Look at how big you've become. That mountain was building some, a bigger man in you. And while you were pushing and pushing, I was developing you. I was growing you for a bigger assignment. I had no issue taking away the mountain. The process is much more important than the outcome. And if you're going to operate at a higher level, whether it's in your career, in your business, in your ministry, in your calling, your assignment, in whatever area of your life, you must understand that the process is much more important than the outcome. Stop getting fixated about outcomes and goals and all that. I'm not saying those are not important. They are important. But you must learn to celebrate the process. You must have respect for the process. God does not use shortcuts. Are you with me? God does not use shortcuts. And whether it's money you want, prosperity rides on the wheels of industry. If God wants to give you transgenerational wealth, God will give you an idea that will solve a problem. God will not get a madman to chase you on the streets. You know those kind of testimonies? I was just going on the bus stop and a madman started chasing me and threw a bag at me. I opened the bag and I saw a million dollars. You will, you will. <laughs> By the time the Australian Federal Police chase your life, you will return it. If you come to the church and we will send you back, we don't want those kind of testimonies. But no. Now, I'm not saying God cannot do, you know, you know, we can't limit God. You understand what I'm trying to say? But when God works, God, you know, this morning, Yemi and I were listening as we we're driving down here. Was it in the morning? We we're going to the airport. We we're listening to T.D. Jakes on YouTube. And T.D. Jakes was talking about the process and the product that a lot of people are not actually ready for their destination. And that's why 80% of people who win the lottery squander it within two years. Because they ha he said they have the wallet of Bill Gates, but they have the mindset of John Poole. I don't know who John Poole is. I said I will check that out. I heard that. He said they have the wallet of Bill Gates, but they have the mindset of John Poole. They have the product, but because there's no process to back up the product, they were not prepared in the streets. If you look at David and Jonathan, Jonathan knew. He said Jonathan knew David would reign. Jonathan was the heir. Jonathan was like Prince Charles. Jonathan went to David in the woods and said, I know my father wants to kill you. He made a covenant with him. He said, when you become king, I'll be second in command. The Bible says they made a covenant together. And you know what struck me there? The Bible says, and Jonathan went back to the palace, but David stayed in the woods. A lot of people have not gauged their position by going back to that comfort. Are, Jonathan wasn't ready, even though he had covenanted with David. And truly, Jonathan would have been second in command because David loved him more than a brother. But Jonathan wasn't ready to go through that process. David stayed in the woods. He was anointed. How old was he anointed? He was a teenager when he was anointed. More than two decades, he, was, he carried the anointing of God, but he had no position. For more than two decades, David knew he was anointed. He was anointed above all his brothers. He was anointed before he killed Goliath. He was anointed before he had a portfolio. He was anointed before he had a ministry, before he had a following. He had the anointing of God upon his life. Amen.
Don't worry, I know, my, you know, <laughs> I'm just speaking. When my time is up, I will lead. Praise God. I don't have a script. Usually I write my messages, so I told my wife I'm not, I don't, I'm not writing any message today. I'm not, not nothing. And she's like, are you sure? I say, yeah. But I'm going to tell you a story in the Bible about the advantage in 2 Samuel. And I'm going to tell you the story because the story goes from chapter 15 to chapter 18. But I'll start with the story in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I'll give you a bit of a background. This is the story of King David. King David's kingdom started to unravel at this time because his son, Ahitophel, was against him. His son was interested in taking over from him. Amen. Sorry, his son, Absalom, not Ahitophel. I'll come back to Ahitophel. So his son was interested. So if you look at verse 1, Absalom designed a scheme, all right, where he could get favor of the Israelites. In verse 1, it says, Absalom provided himself chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. He had a bodyguard, an entourage. And in verse 2, he says, he rose up early and he stood by the way of the gate so that anyone who came to resolve issues with the king will be stopped by Absalom. And Absalom will call to them and say, what city are you from? So Absalom was trying to gain the favor of the people. In verse 3, we'll go to verse 3 now. Bible says there that Absalom said unto him, See thy matters, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Praise God. I'll stop there. So Absalom was trying to usurp the authority of the king, and that was what he did. And later on, what happened, just to fast track the story, was that Absalom, after four years, four years of undermining the king, four years, he had a big following. So what did he do? He told the king he was going to sacrifice in Hebron. So he went to Hebron, and while he was there, he led a rebellion. He brought all the leaders of Israel together and said, yes, we're going to become, I'll become a king. And the word got to David. Praise God. In verse 13. Let's look at verse 13. And it says, there, sent him, there came a messenger to David saying, the heart of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David in fact, that's a whole different thing on leadership. How possible, how, how possible is it that David was the king? For four years, somebody was, you know, walking behind the schemes to take away the kingdom from him, and David did not realize it, and the kingdom was gone. And the next thing David would hear was that, hey, everyone has turned against you. They're now with your son Absalom. And David did not know it. David trusted Absalom. Amen. So David said to his servants, who were with him, arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. So David decided to run. He gathered all his people, all the loyal people with him, everyone he took. He only left 10 concubines in the palace. So David was running away from the kingdom. He left Jerusalem, gathered everyone to leave. Now I'll jump to verse 35, because I'm going to, I'm going to a place in chapter 18, actually, but I'm starting from here in verse 35 of um, chapter 15, verse 35. So David now was about to leave. So David said, he says, and as thou not there with you, Zadok and Abatiah, the priests. Okay? So David there was handing over to some people. So he said, well, Zadok is there, Abatiah, the priest is there. All right? He says, therefore, it will be that whatsoever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell Zadok and Abatai the priests. Those priests were still loyal to David. So David left the priests there, Zadok and Abatai. Look at verse 36. 
And that's the first mention of this man, Haimas, whom I'll be talking about in verse 36. Let me just read it from here. It says, Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimas. Now keep that name, very important name. Ahimas, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abitar's son. So the priests were there, their two sons were there. Zadok had a son called Ahimas, and, jo- and um, Abatir had a son called Jonathan. And they, they, were, they, they didn't flee, they stayed in Jerusalem because Absalom was coming to Jerusalem to take the kingdom. So David escaped with his people before Absalom arrived. Ahimas and Jonathan were sons of priests and they were left in the kingdom in Jerusalem to be spies in court. Now let's go to chapter 17, just because of time, verse 15. We've introduced Ahimas now. Let's just learn more about Ahimas. In chapter 17, verse 15, in chapter 17, Ahitophel, just before we read that scripture, Ahitophel was one of the counselors of David, but he apparently turned against David and started advising Absalom on how to take over the kingdom and reign. And David prayed a prayer. He said, let God turn Absalom, Ahitophel's counsel to what? Foolishness. But David was also smart. On the way out in chapter 16, which you skipped, Hushai, the prophet, one of the prophets that was a counselor to David was, was, was mourning and he, was, he had torn his, rent his clothes and he wanted to go with David. David said, don't go. You better stay with Absalom so that somebody will give a different opinion to Haithophel. Praise God. That's after David prayed that prayer. He left Ushai. So Ushai did not go. Zadok did not go. Abitai did not go. And there are two sons. So we've counted about five people who did not flee. David left some people there. And God used those people for David. Are we together? So in verse 15, Ushai was called. After Ahitophel had given counsel to Absalom, he said, Absalom, when they got to Jerusalem, Ahitophel said, Absalom, your father has left. Let's get 12,000 people. Let's chase after him. He's an old man. He's tired. We'll kill him. That was the best thing they could have done. Great military advice. But somehow, Absalom heard that Ushai was there. Thank God Ushai did not go with David. They called for Ushai. Ushai came. And Ushai said, ah, no, master. You know, your father is like a great lion. And if he rouses out, your soldiers may be paralyzed with fear. Why not mobilize the entire army of Israel so you have a formidable army before you attack your father? What that meant was that that was going to buy David some time to flee. So Ushai gave a different advice, and David followed that advice. So Ushai, once he knew that he had bought time for David, he came to Zadok and Abitai, the priest. Let's go back to that scripture. All right, keep that scripture up there. And so he went there, says, does, and so Ahitophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and does so have I advised. Keep going, keep going, verse 16. Follow me. Now, therefore, quickly tell David, do not spend the night in the wilderness. Cross over the Jordan, lest the new king, or lest, lest the king be swallowed up, verse 17. All right? So Jonathan and Ahimaaz, they were the sons of the priests, remember? They were like spies. They were not inside Jerusalem. They were outside in a town called Enrogel. So they told them to run and inform the king. Now, let me stop there. Hushai, am I giving you the correct story? Are you following me? Hushai had given them a good advice that would favor David. So he was double agent. He went to the priest, tell your sons. Your sons are waiting, they are spies. Go and tell the king to run. Do not wait. 
Now, so Haimas, you know we're going to Haimas. Haimas was good at delivering messages. On the way, somebody spotted them and reported them to Absalom. So Absalom's men started chasing these two guys. They hid in a lady's house overnight, found a way to escape, they got to David. Now, chapter 18. Chapter 8. I'm just giving you the background. Chapter 18, chapter 18, verse 1. Chapter 18, verse 1. Praise God. Are we there? Yes. So David numbered the people that were with him. All right? And there was going to be war. So Absalom now, all the people had gathered. You know, Absalom mobilized the whole army of Israel. All of them were gathered now. They said, okay, yes, we're going to chase David. David too numbered his own people and said, well, we have to defend ourselves. David was hiding, and then David divided his, all the people that were with him, just a few thousands, into three groups and said, okay, you defend. And before they left, David told all of them, please do not kill my son Absalom. I still love him. Just, you know, if you find him, do not kill him. That was the instruction. It was clear. In fact, David did not tell only the the leaders of the, the, the generals, he told everyone. So everybody heard him. Now we're going to go verse by verse because this is where the advantage comes. And you wonder why I'm giving you the story. Let's go straight now to verse 9. So this is in the heat of battle. And Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree. And his head, that is his hair, Absalom had long, you know, Absalom was probably the most handsome man at the time. Gosh, this guy was, he would have been like a model these days. Long hair, nice, he could be a very courteous person. He would greet people, you know, daddy wa, mommy wa, you know, very nice person. He would win everyone's favor, looked very good. So anyway, as he was running on the, fleeing on the move, a plant or a branch of a tree caught his head. I don't know how that happened. So Absalom was hanging from his hair. Let's go straight to the next verse. We're going to be going verse by verse quickly with me. Verse 10. So a certain man saw it and told Joab, say, hey, Joab, look at the person, Absalom, the rebel, hanging on a tree. Let's go verse to verse 11, quickly. It's a story that we're following. So Joab said to the man who told him, you just saw him. Why did you not kill him? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver. Joab said, the enemy of the king. Look at verse 12. So this man said, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I will not kill the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you, Abishai, Itai, the general, saying, verse 13, no one. He says, otherwise, I would have dealt falsely. Oh, well. Anyway, the king had said, no one, for there is nothing hidden from the king. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No one should kill. So that was what he was trying to say. Sometimes, you know, KGV and KGV can scatter your... Yeah, let's go to verse 14. Verse 14. So Joab said, I cannot linger with you. So he took three spears. Joab himself took three spears, thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive on the tree. He went against the orders of the king. Look, look at verse 15. Verse 15. And then 10 young men, brother, please just keep your hand on that, on that button. Just press it. Verse 15. And 10 young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom. And so they killed Absalom. 
So the king's son was dead. The rebel had just been killed. But this was not David's desire. Let's look at verse 16. So Joab blew the trumpet, gathered everybody together. Verse 6, 17. And they took Absalom, they cast him in the pit, they buried him. Verse 18. Now, Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself. Now, let's go to verse 19. Let's get to Ahimaaz. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, after they've buried Absalom, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, let me run now and take the news to the king. How the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. Now, remember, Two chapters earlier, Ahimaaz was the one that was sent to tell the king to run. So Ahimaaz has done this before. Ahimaaz knows what it means to run after the king, to deliver news to the king. This was not his first rodeo. He went to Joab and said, Joab, let me go run to the king and give the king the news. Look at verse 20. And Joab said to him, you shall not take the news this day. Not today, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead. Look at verse 21. Now I'm not sure whether Haim has understood what Joab had said or what had happened. But in verse 21, Joab said to the Cushite. Now the Cushite was a foreigner, actually an Ethiopian, a brown-skinned person, someone darker in complexion. So that means Joab's, David's army was actually multi-ethnic. So Joab turned to a Cushite. We don't even have the name of the Cushite. You know the topic of my message, which I didn't give you? The Cushite advantage. David turned to the Cushite, who had no genealogy, no name, no background. Joab turned to him and said, Go tell the king what you have what? And the Kusha bowed himself to Joab and ran. Joab turned to a man who was never introduced in the scripture. We don't know his genealogy. We don't know where he was from. We don't know who anointed him. We don't know who, who, how he got into the army. All we know, in fact, he did not even have a name. But he had an identity. And he had a purpose. And Job turned to this man and said, you've got, I like the way the KJV put it, tidings. You've got tidings today. You're bearing the tidings. And this man took that and it was enough for him. And what did Job tell him to do? He says, tell the king what you have seen. I'm, co I'm coming there. All I need to do is just to tell you this story. I'm telling you the truth. If you just allow God to just use this story to speak to you, you would understand what he wants from you. In verse 22, in verse 22, and Ahimas, again, the experienced one, Ahimas, the Levite, Ahimas, the son of the priest, Ahimas, who grew up in the temple of the Lord, Ahimas knew what it means to, he had all the advantages, he was in the majority. He grew up in the temple. He had been close to the king. He had seen the king. He had saved the king. He had done all of those things. The son of Zadok. See the way they even introduced him. The son of, you know, the son of Zadok. Zadok was the high priest. So Ahimaaz, the son of the priest. 
said again to Joab the general, but whatever happens, please let me also run after the Kushite. Let me run. And Joab said, why will you run, my son, since you have no news? Why will you run since you have no tidings? Why will you run? Let's look at verse 23. But whatever happens, he said, let me run. Whatever happens, let me run. So he said to him, run. <laughs> and Ahimaaz ran. He ran by the way of the plain. He even took a shortcut and he outran the Kushite. Who had the message? Who had the tidings? Come on, answer the church. Who had the message? We don't even have his name. Ahimaaz outran the Kushite. Because he said he had done it before. He had past experience. He had everything. The Kushite had nothing. He had no name, no past experience. We don't even know whether he had been in the presence of the king before. We don't even know how he would deliver a message to the king. But we know Ahimaaz had done it. When King David was desperate, Ahimaaz saved him. So in verse 24, David was sitting between two gates and the watchman looked up and saw a man running alone. Verse 25. Let's quickly run because of time. Move faster. Then the watchman cried and said, he's alone. The king, so the king said, if he's alone, there's news in his mouth. He's got a message if he's alone. And he came rapidly and drew near. Verse 26. Verse 26. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called the gatekeeper and said, there's another man running. And the king said, he also brings news. Verse 27. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first is like that of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And look at the testimony of the king. He is a good man, and he comes with what? Good news. But did he have any news? Did he have a message? But he was running. Oh, God, he was running. And how many people are running today without a message? How many people are running today without a word? How many people are running and even outrunning those that have a word? Of course, they've got something to rely on, their genealogy, their background. They've got something to rely on, their past experience. They've got something to rely on, their education, their background, the advantages that they think they have. Ayumas knew what it means to run before the king. He had done it before in desperate times. When this king's life was in danger, he was there for the king. So he thought, well, if the king is now winning and his son is now dead, I should be the one. When the king was, you know, sometimes, you know, how privileged we can feel about ourselves, especially when it comes to dealing with God. When you were there, you had nothing in this country. I was the one that helped you live in my house. Now that you have this mansion, you did not even invite me to come and celebrate with you. Have you seen people like that? Would they offer you a little help and they would drag, they would drain it from you, the result, for the rest of your life? And what they don't understand is that sometimes some people are just there in our lives to be there for a short moment. And if God uses you to bless someone, it doesn't mean that they are meant to be in your life all the time or that you are supposed to have constant contact with them or that they should be subservient to you for the rest of their lives. In fact, some of them will come, they will go through you, and they will do great things in life that would even outstrip what you could have done. And you still rejoice with them because you were part of their journey. 
I heard a message by John Maxwell, unforgettable. And he listed a few people in his lives that were there positioned strategically in different areas of his lives. I here, as you're seeing here, I was in medical school, second year medical school. I wanted to drop out of school because my parents couldn't afford my fees. My father had moved out of the house to stay with another woman. And my mom was stuck with five kids. And I remember going to school, nothing, nothing. On the Friday, the deadline of the day, there was nothing. I went to my father's office, he told me nothing. He could not do anything. And I thought I was going to drop out of school. Came to church on a Sunday morning. I was teaching the children's church. And after I taught children's church, I sat down there after service, sad. I didn't know it was showing on my face. And my old Sunday school teacher walked up to me. I said, me, why are you sad? I said, sir, Friday was the deadline. Today is Sunday. I'm dropping out of school. He said, no, you're not going to drop out of school. From my second year to my final year, he paid my fees every year. He gave me a monthly allowance. And he did it without even the children's church coordinator knowing. No one in the church knew. We will be in the children's church, church children's department. We will be there talking. And that man across the table was paying my fees. And every month I will go there and he will give me an allowance, 10,000 naira. That allowance was what paid my sister's NC. What, he didn't realize that. My allowance, I was a student and I paid my sister's NC and my brother's school fees, their YHEC, everything. I was the father of the house. And I was studying and I was doing some other jobs. And when I was coming to this country, he bought my ticket to come to Australia. You know, some years ago, I went back home. I became a neurologist. I, my, I'm the first graduate of my, you know, family. All our siblings, all of them are now graduates. About three of us are in Australia now. My brother is in the UK. Through this man. So I went to him. And I said, you know, I thanked him. Do you know that he's still in the children's church? He's moved to another church. He's still in the children's church. But I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. He never asked me for one single thing afterwards to do for his own children. I've asked him to come to Australia anytime. He said, me, please. I asked him for an Instagram live. Just do Instagram. I just wanted to celebrate him. He said, no. He doesn't have a Facebook account. He doesn't have an Instagram account. He has nothing. He told me, he said, me, after you, I've done it over and over again for many more. So when I got married to my wife, I said, somebody who is a stranger to me sent me to school. I wouldn't be here today. I'm not here. I, I didn't come to Australia as a redeemed pastor. I wasn't even a member of the redeemed church when I came here. I was an Anglican. I'm talking about an Anglican church. I, I was a youth president in an Anglican church when I came here. So it was Anglican. I'm not talking about it, you know, I'm not a Pentecostal church. I'm talking about an Anglican church. And this man is still in an Anglican church, blessing lives. Praise God. So, as I bring this message to a close, we have the story of Haimaz, who thought that his advantage was based on his past experience. I've come to tell you today that your advantage is in your message. Your advantage is in your calling. And your background doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have no name. It doesn't matter if your background, if you're from the poorest family. It doesn't matter where you are from. That does not matter. It doesn't matter. 
when God brings you out and gives you a message, it gives you a word, it will transform lives. Some weeks ago, I wrote an article. I've got over 10,000 people on my mailing list. I wrote an article and I got over 100 replies. I got people all the way from Germany writing me back. Thank you for, for saying that and all that and sharing that with me. And I'm like, I was so blown away by that. I was like, thank God. Thank God. We had a conference last year called Legacy Conference and I said something and I preached a message and somebody gave his life to Christ and wrote me from Europe. I got so many messages from Europe and from, you know, from Africa. Somebody wrote me back and said, listen, I was lost. Thank you. Thank you for this. Listen to me. You've got to find your why. You've got to find your message because God has given you a word. God has given you a purpose. Your advantage is hidden in your purpose. And every single thing, don't run without a word. Don't run without a message because you've got a message to deliver. I can preach just on this, but time will not allow me to do so. But I just want to emphasize this as I read the story over and over again. As I said, you know, I'm not going to come here to give you 10 points or 20 points or 5 points. No. I'm just going to tell you the story of Ahimaaz and the Kushite. The story of a man who relied on his own background, his own knowledge, his own understanding, his own connections. But where God is taking you to is beyond your background, your knowledge, your connections. God is going to give you that Kushite advantage. That even when you're not known, when you're not seen, when you're not popular, when you've got no background. But you see, the Kushite did not just happen. The Kushite was there at the background. And what did the Bible say about the Kushite? What did Joab tell him? Joab said, go and see what you have. What? First John 1, 1. That which is from the beginning. Which you have seen, we have heard. Our hands have handled. The Bible says, and they took knowledge that these ones had been with Jesus. When they saw them, they knew that he had been with Jesus. They had seen it. Peter said, when we tell you these things, we do not tell you cunningly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We have seen, we have held it. We know what we are talking about. The advantage is found in his presence. And I'm not talking about an instantaneous thing. I'm talking about a process of you staying there where he has called you. Staying in your lane. And not trying to compare yourself with other people. Not trying to be like other people. Just stay where God has called you. Because when you stay there and you speak your own message and you speak your own truth to your own audience, they will find you. You don't need to find, you don't need to try. You just stay where God has put you. Just stay where God has planted you. Just keep swinging where he has put you. There'll be pressure to move. There'll be pressure to change. There'll be pressure to adulterate your message. There'll be pressure to adapt and to try calling, you know, try different means. But stay there. Joab, the Kushite was there. It was at his duty post. He saw what happened. He had something to deliver. Don't learn, don't leave your post. I challenge you today. Your advantage is in your post. Stay where God has put you. Stay in that duty post. For those who are laboring here, don't, don't just go elder skelter. Stay where God has put you. Keep laboring. Keep swinging. You may not see the results, but the results will show. I'm telling you the truth. God is not unfaithful to forget the labor of our love. 
God is not unfaithful to forget the labor of our Lord. You keep grinding, keep grinding, keep grinding. And you may not see the results, but something is happening. I can assure you, the process is much more important than the outcome. And don't run when you've not been told to run. Don't run like a, a lot of people are just making noise. The empty barrel makes the loudest noise. Don't be like Ahimas. Don't rely on your, we've done it. I know you've done it before, Ahimas. We know you know how to talk to the king, but it's not your turn, it's a Kushite's turn. How many people want the Kushite advantage today? Amen. I only have one prayer point for you, and it's not a prayer point of breakthrough. I'll leave that to Pastor Yamadi to do all the breakthroughs for you. Praise the Lord. My prayer point for you is that God will help you to align yourself with this process. And that God will give you the strength to go through that making process. Because it's going to shape in you. It's going to work on you. And it's not going to be pleasant. But it's going to be sustainable. Why not rise up on your feet and say, Lord God, I just yield myself to you to walk on me, oh God. Lord God, I just yield myself, oh God. I need strength, oh God, to walk through this journey. This journey of whether it's being a parent, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your career. You're not seeing the signs, but you know you're in the will of God. Just pray, Lord God, I just need your strength and grace right now. Lord, I just tap into that grace and strength right now. In the name of Jesus, strengthen my feeble knees, oh God. Strengthen my feeble knees. In the name of Jesus, oh God. Lord, I just align myself, oh God. I give myself away to you, oh God. I pray that God, you strengthen my arms, strengthen my legs. Give me the grace and the courage, oh God. In the name of Jesus, I just need you. I lean on you. I just depend on you today. I can't do this on my own, oh God. I need you, Father, more than ever before. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give me a louder amen. In Jesus' name we pray. God, I just put this in my hand for someone. There's some of you right now, you're right in the center of the will of God, but things are not working. But you know in your heart that you should where God has called you to be. You know where you are, it's where God has called you to be. But right there where you are, it reminds me of Abraham. God told Abraham to leave his father's house, his comfort, and go to the land that he will show him. And when he got there, the Bible says there was famine in the land. It's possible to be right in the center of the will of God and, and you find farming. The farming was so great, the Bible says that Abraham went down into Egypt. When Abraham got to Egypt, remember the story, if you've read that story, Abraham did not build a single altar. He did not say a single word of prayer. It was the dark days and the days of in the lives of Abraham. But what happened when he was in Egypt? He became rich. There are a lot of people who have left the center of the will of God and they have multiplied in wealth, but they are not in God's will. Abraham became rich in cattle, in silver, in gold. He had maid servants, maid servants, and maid servants. One of those little, one of those servants was Agar, the Egyptian slave. It was while he was in Egypt he found this young girl. I wrote a book on Agar. Young girl, teenage girl. Twenty years later, Agar almost derailed the plan of God for his life. And some of you are right where God has put you, but you're not seeing the signs. There's famine in Israel, God, but you brought me here. Why is there famine in the land? Why is that I'm not seeing signs? You're about to leave and you want to go down into Egypt like others. Isaac almost did the same thing as his son. 
in Genesis 26. The Bible says there was famine like in the days of his father Abraham. And the Lord came to Isaac and said, go not down to Egypt like your father. Stay here. And the Bible says in that same year, <laughs> in the land of famine, the Bible says in that same year, Isaac went forward. Verse 12 says it went forward. It waxed great. It became exceeding great in the same year in the land of famine. That's the advantage. Because you have a word from God. You are not moved when or by others. You are not moved by immigration laws. You are not moved by, you know, people running out of scatter just to do, because you are walking with God. I want you to pray. I say, Lord God, I just want to stay in your will. Lord, show me the path. Oh God, give me clarity about what I should do. I don't want to be running helter-skelter, chasing the next big thing. Oh, Lord God, help me. Give me clarity about what you've called me to do, Father, in the name of Jesus. Open your mind and pray and say, Lord God, I receive instruction. I receive instruction. I stay in your will. I abide in your counsel in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to run helter-skelter. I will stay where you've put me. I will abide, oh God, in your will. I will walk with you. I will walk with you. I will do that which you've called me to do. In the mighty name of Jesus. So shall it be in Jesus' name. Why not stretch forth your hands right now as we make a commitment to the Lord together. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you because it is you that is at work in us. Both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, for bringing your word to us. To make a difference in our lives, oh God. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. You are the one that makes us breathe. You are the one that makes us live. You are the one that makes us thrive. Lord, in the name of Jesus, you own the advantage. We know you are taking us through a journey, and many a times we are blinded to your plan and purpose. We do not know what you are working in us, but we know you are working. And Lord, while you are working, we may not see, but Lord, we believe you, O God. Lord, we ask for the strength and the courage to stay near the furnace so that you can keep working on us. Lord, we're not going to give up on you, O God. No pain, no disadvantage, no stress, no struggle will take us away from our place. We will not lose our place in the kingdom. We will stay where you have put us, O oh God. We will declare our message, the message you've given us. You would help us, O oh God, find it. And we will declare it with authority, with conviction, with precision and accuracy. In the name of Jesus. We will not be deterred. We will not be discouraged. We will not, O oh God, turn back. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we will not run like Ahimas. Lord, we will not lean on our understanding. We will not lean on our background, oh God. We will lean on you, oh God. We will depend on you. We will put our trust in you, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we know that when we trust you like the Kushite, when we stay with you like the Kushite, we will see things. And when we see things, we will run because you will tell us to tell the others. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us to see you help us to see what you have called us to see and we will run with it oh god and the impact will be great in the name of jesus lord we pray for this house all the young people who are here we pray for understanding we pray for understanding of the times that they will understand what they should be doing in the name of jesus 
Father, we pray for growth. We pray for personal growth, spiritual growth, all around growth in the name of Jesus. I pray for every young person here that the spirit of excellence will be upon them, oh God. The sevenfold spirit of excellence of God will be upon them. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and mind. The spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that our young people here in Brisbane will shine like stars. That they extra that advantage, oh God, they will find it in Jesus' name. As they align themselves with you, they will shine. That Lord God, no matter the, whatever disadvantage people think they have, we will turn it around for their good. In the mighty name of Jesus, what, the, what would have been a disadvantage for the Kushai, the color of his skin, his racial background, and all of those things was nothing. He was the one that had the news. I pray that anything that anyone has been told is a disadvantage will be turned around for their own advantage. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Praise God. Can we celebrate Jesus better? this morning. Celebrate Jesus better. Have you been impacted by this message? Please share your experience with the pastor of the church, either via email, info at rccgjesusworshipcenter.org.au or please call plus 614 662 580.